Hi guys, I'm Dominic Rose and uh, this is Dragon Heart. Welcome to Dragon Heart. This has been a crazy week in the Wrexham universe. But first, I'm going to introduce my co-hosts, Bill and Mark. How are you doing after that fantastic Tuesday night game? It's uh, certainly uh, striking how much better it is to, after the game like that. All of a sudden, everything, everything's fantastic. And, and we've all spontaneously turned up in our TikTok garb in order to you know, <laughs> celebrate the occasion. <laughs> how are you, Bill? Yeah, great. I've still kind of not come down from that match, really. It's it, it's not often in a season you get a game where you want to watch the highlights five or six times. Uh, and I think I'm on about time seven or eight now, so <laughs> very happy. That's just really I don't think I've seen any game more than this one on the highlights. You're quite right. Mm. <laughs> well, it, it was a real special game, and we're going to be going through that. Um, we're going to be talking about the Notts County game first a little bit because our show will be airing just before it's coming on. So we're just going to have a quick five minutes about that. We're going to talk about our evaluation of Phil Parkinson so far and performing in front of big crowds. So, yeah, a lot to talk about. This is Dragonheart. Playing the music you love. This is Calon FM. Before we get on to the Bournemouth game, we're going to have a quick chat about a little, slight, a little bit of a preview about the Notts County game because, of course, this podcast will be released. Well, the podcast and the radio show will be released just before kickoff. So, FA Trophy, our, well, it looks like, looking from the trend, from what way how we've been playing this season, we're going to be taking it quite seriously, aren't we, Bill? Yeah, um, I was talking about uh, about it to uh, Phil from Bank Street Coffee. Shout out, Phil, if you're listening. Uh, he, he pointed out, you know, that we've taken it really seriously this year and there's not really been many changes. And um, why get to the quarterfinals and make serious changes? I think may, maybe you look to to rest the strikers because we've got a lot of options there. Um, McAlinden and Anna James Jones, to an extent, are already options that, you know, if we had a fully fit squad, might not have uh, uh, started. So you'd probably keep keep them in. And then the the back three, back five, well, they seem to be playing every week, don't they? The only the only thing is you might, might see Hosanna come in. So strong side, strong side, even if we do rotate a little bit, to be fair. We've got a good squad depth now, haven't we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think the, the obvious change... I agree. I think we'll pick a strong team as we can. I, I also agree that if there's a risk, there's no point in taking it. Um, so we don't know what knocks there might have been after Tuesday's game. McFadden, it was brilliant that he played 90 minutes for the first time on Tuesday, but maybe we we're pushing it to make him play on the Friday. But then Bryce Suzanne is probably the player who's most knocking on the door to come into the team. So, yeah, maybe Suzanne comes in on a left. And apart from that, yeah, I suspect it'll be pretty similar, to be honest. Um, Mullin stopped a few times on Tuesday, um, hold it, holding his leg. So I think maybe you change him, put Ponticelli in. Uh, you know, we've got quality on, we've got a quality squad who need game time as well. So I, I think, yeah, keep the core of the team, but I, I'm not against having some rotation as well. I've, I've got to say though, um, 
Mullen might, if he's like 50 50 or well, not 50 50, if it's just a precautionary thing, he might have difficulty convincing him. Because remember what happened mm. last time at Notts County when he missed a penalty? And I have a funny feeling that the way he's playing right now, he'll be desperate to get back there and make amends. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. But sometimes you've got to stop the player from hurting himself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And, and I still argue, you think Ponticelli's had a fantastic season. He needs game time. He needs to be sharp. Mm. I, 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 I'm personally not against rotating, but we have got so far into this tournament now, we we may as well take it really serious because we're only a couple of games away from, uh, is it Wembley? The FA Trophy this year. I know that. I know the playoff final could be different, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure FA Trophy's Wembley. So I'd like to say Wembley's always a nice day out. So well, well, <laughs> maybe not the last <laughs> FA Trophy final or the last playoff final that we we were in. Um, but yeah, it'd be nice for for the new Hollywood Reds to get to Wembley again, wouldn't it, Bill? Do you know what would be the perfect scenario? And this is this is Dreamland talk. We there's there's a lot, I've been, heard a lot of mentions. You know that the the trophy final this year is just before the playoff final, and everyone's saying, oh, you know, we could we could go and um, play in the trophy and the playoff. I I don't want that. I want us to go up before the playoff the final and before the trophy final and have that trophy final as a. a a, a nice cap to the end of the season. Imagine we've already won the league and we're going to Wembley just for a, an added bonus. And even if you don't win, you're still coming away. Ah, well, league champions, been in a final in Wembley, happy days. Yeah. Well, as the pessimist in this podcast, I highly doubt that will happen because <laughs> we've got a te- two teams above us still in the league and we can't get too ahead of ourselves just yet. Um, you know, there's a lot of football to be played. You know, we are playing really about, well at the moment, but there's a lot of football to be played. Yeah, and Stockport are still quite a few about points this one? How about this one, right? Sorry to cut in slightly. There's a very good chance for the teams that are left in the trophy that we could be playing a team that we face in the playoffs in the trophy final. Oh, double header. Uh, imagine having to play Stockport twice within a, you know, if say if they were to fall by the wayside, then another team were to take up that place, having to play Stockport twice in the in the playoff and in the the trophy final. I don't even bear thinking about really an alternative it? universe. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd like to think if Stockport do drop off that heavy, that we would be the side to jump in. Of course, yeah, to win agreed. the league. Because I think Chesterfield are dropping off a little bit now. Um, Stockport are still in good form but if they're going to drop off I think if anyone's going to if, if Stockport aren't going to win the league I think we have a fantastic chance but the key thing is Stockport dropping off which I can't see anyway we've had our quick can I, FA Trophy I'm going on, can I just congratulate Bill brilliant mind games there to manage to make Che be optimistic about it <laughs> <laughs> you, you fooled him into saying we're going to win the league there Good <laughs> well, more about, I think we're going to talk about in the next segment, that excellent game against Borenwood. I'm sure we're going to talk about what we think our league chances are after this. So after this, we're going to talk about that blockbuster of a night. 
I'm Aaron Hayden, and this is Dragon Hearts. Well, Bournemouth, Tuesday night underneath the lights. It was a special, special game. And unfortunately, I didn't get to cover the game as I was too busy. But I, fortunately, I managed to get myself a ticket. And it was a special night to be in the stands, wasn't it, Bill? Yeah, uh, I don't I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I think there's now starting to be like a palpable feeling of relief whenever we beat teams. Like, a, like a, not just relief, but like that ecstasy. And it it's I almost had a bit of a moment thinking about it, like yesterday, just that, wow, if that's the atmosphere when we're still so far away from the title, what's it going to be like when we do eventually go up? I mean, it's 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 almost emotional, isn't it? You know, we it was it was the atmosphere was electric. It's it's the best I've heard the, the race course in a in a very very long time, and we've had some all right atmospheres this year. Um, it was rocking, wasn't it, Mark? It was terrifying, wasn't it? It was absolutely brilliant. I don't think Bourne and Wood enjoyed it much. I've got to be honest, but <laughs> oh my words! I mean, it was just one of those fantastic nights with the, everything, the atmosphere, the, the performance. The pantomime villains as well, um, because I, I I must admit, you know, when ITV before the Everton game are showing how how sweet those plucky little giant killers Boreham Wood are <laughs> playing their schmaltzy emotional videos, um, I did feel a bit sickened. I gotta be honest, and it was uh, it was hugely entertaining to, to watch us put them to the sword like that, uh, especially as they 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 sort of reverted to type a bit. They were. Those used to be a big physical uh, route one team. There they were doing it again, and well, we uh, we certainly counteracted it well, didn't we? It was a fantastic performance, it, and it was an excellent performance. And for me, what made it great was you you could see Bournemouth had some excellent players, didn't they? Um, they're, they're quite clearly a good side. They were top of the ta- uh, top five for a reason, aren't they, Mark? Hundred percent. I, you know, I mean, I mean, in an alternate universe, that game could have turned out very differently. Um, I, I, I bang on about it in the commentary and the podcast and everything else, but the fact of the matter is that you know when you get a team playing long ball like that, it's all about imposing your game on the other one, and it tends those games tend to go into phases, and it really did on Tuesday. I thought first ten minutes, boring woods took really penned us in and we then recovered and we imposed our style on them and we had the middle of the half they finished well but they started the second half well and then around about the 50th minute we just took complete control and I thought that was superb you've got to be mentally strong to stand up to that sort of that sort of side and that sort of approach and wow we certainly were I was delighted after about the 50th minute we devastated them and and I thought it wasn't just that they sort of disintegrated a bit, and and they're the team of the best of it. Defence in the division, aren't they? Seventeen goals conceded before Tuesday, and we stuck four goals past them, and they fell to pieces. It could have been more. It was. It wasn't bad, was it? It it, no. it was it was amazing, and you know we kicked off the score fifteen minutes in. Ollie Palmer header from a corner. We've been quite deadly from set pieces this year, haven't we, Mark? Brilliant. Um, nice bit of movement, nice bit of blocking off the ball as well. And, you know, you look at the size of the Boreham Wood size and stay, uh, yeah, 
Palmer getting on the end of it as he done would later. Uh, I mean, I, it's it's fantastic. I've got to say, I, I don't know what you think, Bill. I mean, that front two from the very start, we, they scared Warren Wood, didn't they? Yeah, and I think Ollie Palmer in particular was was really up for it, wasn't he? He was he was on fire. I think that game, you know, and uh, you, you go and break your your transfer record, and it's always it's always a risk. But he, he that's exactly why we bought him, isn't it? That's the, he's he's just the missing ingredient. Everything about his style of play is is all the, all those games where we go, ah, we could have won, could have won that two 0 or we could have won it three 0 he, He's just linked all of that up together and. What a player. What a player. Yeah, he's a player that should be playing. Def- another player should be definitely playing at a higher level and you pay good money for good players and for big performances. And he, he certainly um, racked up another good performance against Boreham on Tuesday night. It was, it was excellent. Um, but it, it did get worrying at, at times. Scott Bowden equalised just before half time, didn't he? And um, that was quite theatrical, wasn't it, Bill? Yeah, it was a bit bizarre. Look, you, you know, um, uh, me and Mark talked about it last week with with uh, you know the the way fans can affect the game, and uh, you know, usually, usually you get a bit of a sense for when there's there's a, a bit of a problem between a player and and uh, the crowd, and I, I just didn't feel it beforehand. I'd be, be uh, very happy to admit that you know if I, there was something I missed uh, coming into the ground, or whether it was from the game a couple of weeks before in uh, in the trophy, or whether there was just another game that Scott Bowden's played for in one of his many many clubs he's played for against Wrexham that uh, he's had some stick. But I, I I think for the most part Wrexham fans felt a little bit indifferent about him. He, he didn't have the greatest spell here, but he certainly didn't lack uh, wasn't for lack of trying and. Fans didn't didn't uh, really dislike him, so it was all a bit odd. Well, you know, unless someone's just shouted something at him that he, he he didn't like the the sound of in the crowd earlier in the game. I don't, I really don't understand it. And he's ended up with real big egg on his face, isn't he, Mark? Well, yeah. I mean, my assumption, because obviously I'm I'm on the opposite side of the pitch from where he went and goaded the fans. I I got the impression that. Stuff was being said in the build-up just before that goal. Like I said, Bournemouth Woods, <clears throat> uh, Route One. So they're they're pinging balls to turn our defence, and then we're trying to get them away as far as we can. And then they move up the pitch and they pen us in. They make get throw-ins and pen us in or whatever. And, and as a result, when a team plays that sort of style, sometimes the ball just just gets stuck in that little quarter of the pitch for quite a long time. And that happened before the goal. And it did sound a bit raucous over there. And I, so I wonder if they were having a bit of a go at the Bournemouth players. Um, and certainly Bowden looked furious. Um, I agree completely. He's, he's been fairly insipid, I think, against us, to be honest with you. So, um, but whatever happens, like I said, he, he massively got egg on his face. I, I don't think I've ever heard a reaction to a player getting subbed like his. They, they weren't booing him. They were laughing at them. Uh, uh, he's gone and done that, and then we've dismantled his team, and it was it was the perfect perfect response, wasn't it? Well, in all fairness, Mark, we, me and Bill were right in the thick of it on yeah. Tuesday, and it was just a bit of you know Rex and Reject songs. Yeah. It, it was it was in good taste. I don't think it was anything malicious. Yeah, it it didn't warrant 
that ridiculous, weird celebration because I don't think he really got any hate. It was a bit, it was still a bit out of the blue and bizarre, wasn't it? And then now, nah, but now every time he's going to play against Wrexham, he's going to get loads of dogs abuse, isn't he? Now, yeah. you know, there's, you know, he's got egg on his face and it's just, yeah, it was all a bit of a strange situation, but. I also thought he that, played well up until that point and then disappeared yeah. out of the game. And to be fair, I think that's partly because the game disappeared out of our half, to be honest. Yeah. But, you know, he, he was linking things up very intelligently and uh, and probably that's the best I've seen him play against us in the first 40-odd minutes. Nicely taken goal as well. Although, um, Hall Johnson won't be very happy if we defended it. Yeah. Yeah, but and I could feel I was a a bit of a sense of anxiousness in the stands going into the second half because, you know, we were the better side in the first half, I'd argue. Um, you know, we, we had the better chances, but we still go into the second half one all, And um, it, it was quite frustrating in many ways, but I was reasonably optimistic we'd get back into the game. And we did 61 minutes in. Um, another Bento's a throw. That's landing on Aaron Hayden head. It's like a heat-seeking missile, isn't it? It's it's working really, really well, isn't it, Bill? Yeah, I, I would make a comment, but Mark looks like he has some sort of pun to do with fly flying and heat-seeking missiles. And is there is there a red Baron pun that can be fit in there? Heat-seeking missiles probably a little bit before the Baron's time, wasn't it? So, uh, no, what 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 a header! And there was just there's just something quite uh, magical about a player being. Uh, what looks like slow-mo stuck in air in the air for ages. And you, you kind of know as the ball's coming in, if he connects with this, it's probably going to go in. Uh, I mean, we've, we've completely run out of superlatives for Aaron Hayden. Haven't we? we may as well just give him player of the season trophy now, I think. I'll put it out there already. I, I yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I agree. He, everything he brings to the table is... Amazing. I be, I will be amazed if we end up keeping him in the summer because I think he's good enough for championship. But we have money. And he's mm. been sold a project. He signed a long-term contract. So if somebody in the championship wants him, they're going to have to put up enough money for a couple of fairly wealthy individuals. To think, oh. Yeah, we'd like to have that cash. He seems very oh, happy yeah. as well, doesn't he? I, I agree. I think he's, I, I, you know, you, I, I've said this before, you know, Curtis Tilt has done it ever so well for himself going up the divisions. Uh, Hayden's a different class from him, I think, massively. Uh, yeah. But, but I think we're wonderfully in a position to keep older players now because we, we have absolutely no necessity to sell. Oh, oh yeah, I agree. And keep hold of him or make a good sum of money off him to get more players back in. So it, it it's... A unique situation to be in as a national league side, isn't it? So, but yeah, he's Aaron Hayden's just and Ben Tozer, they're just two centre halves who should be playing at League One minimum, especially Aaron Hayden. I love them. I love that goal. I love that. I mean, I didn't even re- notice that you know a Tozer had run across and taken a quick long throw. I don't think I've ever seen one of them before. He sprinted across. I didn't see him get across. And it took me by surprise. All of a sudden, I saw Tozer just appearing out of nowhere, hurling it back in again. Um, and it totally <laughs> got Bournemouth out. In commentary, Mark Fenner rightly sort of compared it to that Trent Alexander-Arnold corner against Barcelona, where the defence wasn't set yet. 
and I, I mean, it was. I mean, we, we've talked about that combination. Four of Hayden's goals this season have come from Tozer's throws, and I, I don't know. As you were in the Rex Rents, no, you were in, you were in the Macron. You may not have been able to see what Tozer did with a laser throw, where he actually went up the steps of the entrance into the stand. Yes. We, 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 we did see it was excellent it was what brilliant it was brilliant if he'd slipped then on, on his blades on his steps <sighs> but that was just that was crazy that was oh it was just a night of fun wasn't it really but Hayden's brilliant isn't he? Hayden toes a uh, dominant and I've got to say I mean he, I, in the first half Boreham Woods focused seemed to focus an awful lot of play down the right hand side and obviously they're pumping it long and you've got to ask the question, is this a deliberate thing to focus on Clareworth, thinking he's the weak link out of the three? Well, of course, we know that he's younger, but there's, there's no drop-off in quality. Clareworth was brilliant again. But in the second half, though, I mean, honestly, if you look at futility in the dictionary, it's Boreham Woods constantly pinging the ball down the left-hand side into Hayden's area of the pitch. I mean, what, what do you expect to gain from that? Just pounding the headers back to him. It was fantastic. There was a moment at some point, and I, I, I can't, it was in the second half, but I couldn't pinpoint it exactly. It might have been before we'd even taken uh, the lead for 2 1, where, um, not, not trying to hang uh, Resol Johnson out to dry or anything, but I think uh, Hayden seemed to be getting a little bit frustrated with the movement. I, maybe it's a bit of a uh, communication or something, but he completely took the game by the scruff of the neck. He took the ball and moved forward with it, it almost as if it was a little bit like, come on, this is what you should be doing. And for a centre back to have that kind of quality, yeah. Looking like a right back, moving forward with the ball, n- n- nonchalantly just taking on uh, Boreham Wood players. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just quality. <laughs> I, like a kind of like, I just don't know what to say about him. It's just it, we haven't seen a defender this good in a very long time. I don't think. Well, his his sort of formative, the, the club that he first got a bit of a, a run in the team for was Stourbridge. He went there on loan, and he was. Um, he plays a wing back for him, and I can well, kind of that see explains that. a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can, I, you know, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. That bloke's a centre back, no question. He's got such amazing attributes, but I can see him as I can see the logic of a wing back because you can imagine him just bursting up and down the line, can't you? If he was released to do that, hundred percent. And he, and I'm assuming when he was playing at a wing back, he would have been younger, so. No, he was older. Maybe than not. Him, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, obviously. But <laughs> if, I'm, I'm, assu- I'm assu- no, I'm assuming it wasn't like last season or a couple of seasons ago. It was when he was at the start of his career, 2017, uh, 18, and then also 2018, 19. He spent the season oh. 18, 19 at Stourbridge, and then the season before he had half a season there, and he had half a season at Telford on loan. So we got 11 not- games in half a season with them, and then 29 games. The season after, and then he got a move to Carlisle. Oh well, fair play. So it wasn't that long ago then. It wasn't as much as I was expecting, to be fair. But yeah, uh, I can't say enough good things about Aaron Hayden. And then recently, James Jones is really proving his doubt is wrong as well. Um, sixty-six minute in, James Jones gets a lovely goal, doesn't he? And he could have got one pre just slightly previous that long shot and forced a fantastic save from Boreham Woods goalkeeper. Yeah, James Jones 
you've been a big fan of his all season, haven't you, Mark? When a lot of people have been critical of him, uh, he's in an excellent run of form at the moment, isn't he? Last two games, he's been superb. It really stood out, and yeah, I like Jones a lot. I, I can I understand people's reservations because they think. You know, these players coming down from League One are just going to look sensational and way above our level. And Jones is a different type of player from Mullen and, and Palmer and Hayden and Toza. And he, he does make mistakes sometimes. Yeah, and I think he'd probably admit himself. There have been points where his form maybe hasn't been quite as good as, as he'd like it to be. But the truth is, I mean, he's got an unbelievable engine. Uh, the, the way he was chasing around at, at the very end of the game. He made a little 20-metre sprint and added time just to stop Mondi from locking the ball down the wing. And it was just, he just thought, well, yeah, yeah. He looks as, he looks like he's just come off the bench and he's fresh. He's got an unbelievable motor on him. And he just, he just covers the ground brilliantly. I think he's unlucky to only have, what is it, three goals so far this season because he, he looks like he's got more goals in him. He strikes the ball well from the edge of the box. And he's had a few sort of unlucky moments. Like you said, good saves by keepers. <laughs> also, that one in our first home game of the season when he scored a screamer, the linesman gave Jake Hyde offside and we saw on the TV pitches Hyde wasn't offside. So we should have had a goal on his home debut. That might have given him a boost. But his energy, his tackling, his, his, the fact that he's everywhere is brilliant. And it just reminds me, as I, I said this in commentary a couple of games ago, he reminds me a little bit of Mel Sutton in the great sort of late 70s team. And Sutton was a, a very, very hard-working midfielder. No frills. And uh, some of the fans used to get in his back a little bit. But he was that hard worker that makes the skillful players have a platform to perform on. And the players loved him. And he used to talk about him having a third lung because he just wouldn't stop working and running and he'd do all the ugly stuff. And Jones does that. He makes little little covering runs and, and people don't understandably don't notice it because the pass never comes in because Jones has sprinted back to make the pass not worth it. But he he, he fills gaps. He, he, he His movement's good. There was a brilliant run he made in the, the first half across the box and it was just... You think, I thought he was a striker and I thought it was Mullen and I thought, oh, it's Jimmy Jones doing that dragging people around and making space for other players. and No, I, I like him. I like him. I mean, I, I, ironically, of course, he's probably fourth choice in midfield at the moment when everyone's fit, but he's certainly making a case to, to be considered higher in the rankings on that, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I 100% agree. I think he has been excellent recently. He's got a real motor on him, and I think... He's had a lot of unfair criticism. I don't think he's the type of player to hit the hit the ground running in the national leagues. It's a different type of football, isn't it? He's not he's not an Ollie Palmer who comes in, looks a world beater straight away because he's naturally strong, physical. You know, with Ollie Palmer, it's going to suit him, isn't it? This sort of style of football, you know, against national league centre backs. But he's coming. He's slowly grown into it, and he's he has just been excellent this last couple of games. And maybe this could be the catalyst to you know, maybe make this real title run because him hitting form at the right time is going to be good. The fans, look, the fans are really happy and bouncing at the moment. Bill, is the title out of reach still or do you think this is possible that we could still win it? 
Well, uh, the t- the titleometer, uh, hey. as I again as I'm patenting, uh, don't don't take that off me, please. Uh, it's, oh, I don't know. I I think it all depends on Stockport, doesn't it? I I'm sticking to my rating of six, just because the points gap hasn't really changed massively. Uh, we are looking to chase Stockport, and we need them to slip up before we can say. Uh, that it's going higher um, but in terms of momentum and, and the performance and the, the atmosphere and all the, all the we, we, we bring in all the right ingredients to the table and we've just got to keep on like this and not get deflated if stop put don't mess up because the pressure's on them you know Toza said it earlier in, in the week that he actually prefers to be in this position where we're chasing somebody else because you know really if, if, if we slip up we're probably still going to get the playoffs. We're probably still in a decent position. There's not really a lot of pressure on us to perform, whereas Stockport have now got us and Chesterfield and a couple of other teams breathing down their necks, and they've got to keep performing as well. So bring it on. Well, I've got to say Stockport, right? Um, if we're still six points behind them in mid-April, I fancy us to win the league. Because mm. up until that point, they've got some really nice fixtures. Admittedly, next Tuesday, they're playing Notts County at home. But after that, they've got a lovely run of fixtures. And so if they drop any points between now and the middle of April, I reckon that's a bonus. They've got Wheelson at home, Kingsland away, Eastley away, Torquay at home, Southend at home. They could well win all those games. But we got to keep... Southender, Southender uh, in re- on really good form at the moment, to be fair. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. But man, I, I think stockboards are strong. However, after that, they're, they're running, yeah? Their last eight games of the season. Grimsby away, Solihull at home, Yeovil away, Boreham Wood at home, Chesterfield, I say, Chesterfield away, us away, Halifax at home. Yeovil the only game there where you'd think they'll go there and wipe the floor of them. They could drop a lot of points in that in that running. And it's it's you know, I mean that starts off with two games in three days, the Easter weekend, and it's Saturday, Saturday, Monday, Saturday, Saturday. Oh man, that's tough. That's a tough run of fixtures. They're not they're not gonna get through that with hundred percent. And we got them at our patch. I I, I, I fancy us, I've got to be honest. Um, we still got Chesterfield to think about as well. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember I, them. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going to get too overconfident. Manager of the season by then. Yeah, we, you know, we've got <laughs> we've got Bromley and Halifax. Our next two games is it very tough games yeah, away yeah. and home, um, and then we have Dover, Dover Weymouth, Barnet, EC. We should be winning them. And then it is looking favourable in some regards, but I don't know. I, I don't think, I think we've left it a little bit too late to win the title. Um, See the state of Chesterfield's pitch? They'll be on their knees by the, by the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be playing water polo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the legs but yeah. worn down to nubs. <laughs> but we, we, you know, we've got Bromley at home. <laughs> Saturday night uh, away, sorry, Saturday 19th of March. It's a tough game. You know, we got Halifax at home. It's a tough game. I'm not getting too ahead of myself. I think we'll I think we'll get second or third. Um, 
to be realistic. I think Stockport are too good. I think Stockport will go up as champions. Uh, it's very interesting. I think it could go down to that last home game of the season against Stockport. So it, it, it's getting very exciting. Was he always just happy go lucky, Bill? <laughs> Do you know what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> but my, my bet is that Stockport would have already won the league before we play him at home. Well, they better had it done for their sake, the way we are playing. Yeah. Yeah. They're a good side too, though. They're very good. They're top of the league for, you know, for, for, for a very good reason. I'm Liam McClendon and this is Dragonheart. Back to the boring wood game, though. Uh, I couldn't quite believe the scoreline. They did get a goal back, which did make me feel a little bit nervous in some ways, but the atmosphere was rocking. And for some reason, it just felt like one of those special nights. And the last goal, it was all capped off with Super Paul Mullin, wasn't it, Bill? And it was that Rex Rent stand just went wild, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit of a crazy five minutes between our two goals. Uh, then they, well, what was it, about 10 minutes or whatever it was in between them, our two goals, they're, they're really, really quick equaliser, which, you know, in a lot of games in the past at the race course, that would have actually um, really knocked the stuffing out of us. But I don't think, don't forget, it's almost as if nobody even noticed it went in. The atmosphere stayed as it was and, and pe- you know, the songs were still going and people were up for it. And then that, that late and long ball up to, Paul Mullen and you you just kind of knew as soon as he took control of it he's going to score yeah and uh, like you say yeah it just exploded didn't it and that was it I, I've been sort of describing it to people this week as we we big teamed them so we've had it happen to us uh, maybe in the past I, I wouldn't say that they were much bigger teams than us but when we played Luton and Tramier and we've gone to their place and they just sort of bossed it with atmosphere and, and the the style of play but we did that to Boreham Wood and their players look phased um, Especially when that third goal went in, I think they they looked they looked uh, um, even though they scored quickly, they they looked emotionally shattered. And that fourth goal absolutely killed the game, didn't it, Mark? Oh yeah, I mean it was interesting when that their second goal is your classic long ball team goal. We score four touches of the ball later by them. They've scored just a kick off, laid backwards, thumped forwards. Hayden has standing behind for the corner. Corners put in. Marsh heads it in. That, that's one that's route one football for you and that's exactly why you couldn't feel comfortable at any time because a team like that can play badly and then suddenly bang a ball in the right area and they've scored um and but luckily because we just came straight back and scored <laughs> and that killed them off didn't it you know three goals in four minutes seven seconds and not the first time Lainton's done that he did the same at Stockport didn't he he hit yeah. it three for Mullins to score uh, so, wow, I mean, he's, we were saying about how he's a really good striker of the ball, but that was just beautiful. I mean, you shouldn't be able to hit it straight down the middle, a dead ball like that, and then have the striker run onto it. It wasn't well defended, but wonderful stuff. I mean, I suppose the other turning point um, was the comedy moment of Connor Stevens going off and they had no centre-backs on the bench. And they didn't have Mark Ricketts in midfield, who used to be a centre-back. So what do they do? They bring on James Comley, a deep-line playmaker, 
who's always played well against us for Maidenhead, and he comes on as a makeshift centre-back and was absolutely awful, the poor bloke, and, and we capitalised so fully on that. That was remarkable. The end of that. Uh, our, our friend that we were with, uh, Ian Ledger, uh, shout-out, I'm doing your lunch, shout-out to Steve, but shout-out to Ian if you're listening. He... Um, He's he would not stop going on about it, Jay. Would he? How awful the the the, the boring would player looked. And do you know what? Like I I've probably mentioned before, but I don't usually pay a lot of attention to to opposition players. I, I did think he 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 stood out as being not particularly good. But if he was playing out of position, then fair enough. I yeah. think that gives him a little bit of credit. I've always been quite impressed with him. Um, he's always seems to have a good game against us or Maidenhead. But frankly, he is not a centre back. He's a yeah, deep lying playmaker. He, he's quite slow, but he's very good on the ball and he's calm on the ball. And I know, sort of the sort of midfielder who'll try and get a bit of grip on the game and move the ball around and offer for return and try and control the tempo of the match. Not a centre back at all. And it didn't help him that his first touch um, was the ball came across him on that little rough patch of the pitch just on the, the, the far corner of the box from you at the Rex Rent end and took a bad b- bounce and he just took a swing and missed it completely and ended up on his backside and everyone's laughing at him and that just seemed to keep going for him did they from that and that was like the, the tone setter but I, I, and at the end they were like hiding him weren't they they had him at right back for a bit they put him in midfield for a bit they were just trying to hide him because they, they, they couldn't they couldn't put him at the back but I felt a bit sorry for him, you know, as was all players having a day like that. But he, yeah, he was put into an awkward situation there, and um, and we took full advantage. We certainly did. Uh, I, I'm I'm really curious to know, Mark, who was the the commentaries man of the match? Oh, we had a bit of an arm wrestling match over this. Um, so there are three of us commentating. So Neil Williams went first. Uh, oh right. As, you, as I asked the other two, who do you think is my other match? In my head, I had James Jones. Now, Neil made what I can only describe as a beautiful speech, arguing it should be Luke Young. And he changed my mind. And then Mark, the other commentator, he made a case for Jones. And so I said, well, you know what? I've actually changed my mind because Neil convinced me. And I went for Young, but I've got to say, uh, for me, there were about seven, eight players who I wouldn't have argued against if they, uh, you know, if we decided man of the match. The two strikers were superb. The three midfielders did well. Maybe I wouldn't say McIlwain the man of the match, but he certainly he put in a hell of a good shift and did some good things. Um, McFadden was excellent, I thought, defensively and going forwards. The three centre backs. Uh, so you know, th- yeah, that, that's that's eight. Lanes didn't have enough to do. Hall Johnson, well, I mean, it's quite poor. Their first goal, he, he didn't have the best of his games, but I was thinking he was bad. But yeah, well, who would you have gone for? Ooh, from the stands, I probably said Oli Palmer. Thought he was throwing himself about, physical. The the, the Bournemouth defenders just did not want to know what oh, yeah. to do with him. Yeah, uh, he had a brilliant goal. But yeah, uh, I can't, can't, to be honest, I couldn't argue with any of the eight players you mentioned then, really. Uh, it was just one of those nights where it clicked into place for numerous me- members of the team. And it was just, it, it was just brilliant. And I think a big part 
on why we won and why it was so magical. The fans, I think the fans were absolutely excellent from the beginning to the end. And I think when you're playing teams like Bournemouth, who are, you know, a quality side, but they're only used to getting a thousand, aren't they, at home? If they're lucky. If they're lucky. You know, they play, yeah, yes, they played Everton. Yes, they played Bournemouth in their last FA Cup games. But were, were Bournemouth and Everton fans really that up for Bournemouth at home? You know, were they really going to be kicking up a big atmosphere? I think, you know, the way we made it so intimidating, so loud. It, I think, I think it did get into their heads too. And I think the 12th man was a real big aspect of this game, Bill. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of like sort of, uh, going back to my point with us, us big team in them, I think there was a few times their players looked up at the Rex front and were like, geez, this isn't, uh, uh, no hiding here today, is there? Um, and and perhaps that's why Scott Bowden reacted the way he did, because he's, he's thought, oh, I'll try and shut them up here. And it obviously it didn't work out for him. Ah, well, uh, but yeah, the, the atmosphere really made a huge impact. I mean, uh, we've talked about it before, Mark, about how does the atmosphere come through in the commentary? Um, did that sound particularly bigger than other games this season? Um, well, let's put it this way. The headphones that we use are very well insulated. And normally I like to have one ear on and one ear off because I want to hear what's happening with the commentary, but I want one ear off so I also get a feeling of being in the ground. I left both my headphones on for the whole game and I found it quite wow. difficult to hear what the other commentators were saying. So, so yes, I'm going to say yes. It came through pretty well. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it was bouncing. And when those goals went in, it was just like one of those crazy games where people were just hugging everyone around them. They didn't even have to know they were... People were falling over, it was bouncing, it was just, you know, it felt like a special night. And I think if we go up this season, we're going to be looking at the Borenwood game thinking that was the home game we needed this season. And I think if we played Borenwood earlier on in the season, I don't think we would have got that result. I think, you know, I think everything's clicking into place now with the management, with everything. With the, we've got the Ollie Palmer now, and I think honestly, if, if we played Bournemouth early on in the season, we we may have had a different result. So it's the perfect time to play a team of that quality back. Yeah, hundred percent. We we've been on a journey this season. We've accumulated the team in two transfer windows, and it now looks like probably what Parkinson intended in the first place. Yeah. Well, speaking of Phil Parkinson, we're going to be talking about him next. I'm Harry Lennon, and this is Dragonheart. Well, Phil Parkinson, he has had his critics this season. I think quite unfairly at times. Um, but, yeah, what's your assessment of him so far this season, Bill? Uh, I think a, a manager that's quite reserved and measured is always going to struggle to win the fans over with the style of football that Parkinson plays or, or, or started with at the start of the season. Now, obviously, we've talked at length about how it's quite um, misleading to say that 3-5 at the back is is a defensive. But I think we were playing it quite defensive at the start of the season and we've grown into quite an attacking side. But you, 
you know, pe- people like that fire and brimstone sort of manager, don't they? Who's, who's walking up to the stands and fist pumping and giving it all that. And and that's not really Parkinson. I know we reacted against Chesterfield, but uh, I kind of, I actually kind of like, I've uh, not that I didn't like him, but I've warmed to the fact that, yeah, he is going to come over and give us a bit of a appreciation when, when it's deserved. And he doesn't have to do it every game because we're showing on the pitch uh, that his tactics are, are, are working. Um, he's, he's, really quietly built a very strong team here. And I know me and Mark are confident, you, you not so much, Che, but I I would have us as very strong favourites to go up next year if we don't go up this year and we retain the majority of the squad because he's built a team and a tactic that's 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 going to be successful in the in the National League. And I think we'd be silly not to keep him on. I agree. And I don't know if I would have done a couple of weeks ago. But you look at this now and you think, right, yeah, we shouldn't, if we don't go up, we, we, we shouldn't really be dismantled. And as long as we don't choose to do that, we'll be, I feel like we're just blown and actually go away next year, add a couple more players in in the summer. You know, I mean, wow. I, I totally understand, Jay, why people had some reservations because... I mean, I had some reservations. I, I personally really like Dean Keats, and I, I, I was would like to have seen him have a chance to spend a big budget. Um, and Parkinson comes into a sort of no-win situation where if he doesn't get the job done, he's in, he's you know, his, he's in jeopardy because you don't spend a lot of money and say, "Oh, we might go up in four years." You spend a lot of money and you expect results. And as, as Bill said, things didn't develop at first. I've got to be honest, though, I think a lot of fans were looking to judge him before looking, having a look at him. You know, they'd seen Sunderland fans moaning about him, so they picked up on that, started talking about how negative he's supposed to be. I, I, I never really got the impression he was negative, but he clearly, in, in the summer, didn't finish building the squad. And that don't think it's his fault, because we were going after difficult transfer t- targets, weren't we? We were going after players who shouldn't want to come down to our league. And we didn't land enough of them. But we did by the time this last transfer window's ended. And and I think we're now properly seeing what he'd intended. And this looks like the sort of side that can blow teams apart. I think that it was a lack of personnel. Hall Johnson getting injured in the first game of the season was a big blow to him because he he's assembled a squad to play three at the back. And then those wing-backs became Tyler French and Jamie Record. I'm not being critical of them, but they are not wing-backs who will fly up the wing at high pace and rip balls into the box. Um, although French has something to offer going forwards. But once it was Susanna and Hall Johnson down the flanks, yeah, different story altogether. And, and, and our style started to evolve. And that's the point, if you look at the results, where, where we really kicked off was when they got in and then Hall Johnson yeah, was fit again and able to get up and down and that's when we really developed and now you look at it and you think right okay you can see exactly what he was trying to do you can see why he was saying we look at our best when we keep the ball even though we look like a quite a direct passing team and yeah I, I don't think anybody can complain about the way he has constructed it, the team in order to get to this point I would argue yeah, I'd really argue McFadden and Ollie Palmer could be the turning point in our season, couldn't they, Bill? Yeah, absolutely. I think coming sort of back to Mark's point about um, 
changing the fullbacks. Uh, I think we dropped off as well when Jake Hyde got injured. I think that was a bit a bit of a blow to our style of play. Um, you know, Mullen and Ponticelli are, are both very good players and um, would work well with with target men strikers. But it's although they had a lot of good games together, it's difficult to see how Parkinson's system works with them two as the main strikers. Uh, I think have you know Jake Hyde looked really impressive in his first uh, set of games, and he's been unfortunate really to have picked up his injuries and not had a bit of a run in the in the team. Similarly, I think a, fu- a fully fit Kwame Thomas from the start of the season that had the run of games uh, would have also done a similar sort of job for us. But Palmer is that is that level above, isn't he? Oh, he's brilliant, isn't he? I'm just looking at actually. You're quite right. Um, Hyde gets injured at Marine. And then the next five games, we won two and lost two. And one of those was a home against Marine, the wins, that is. So, yeah, you're right. It did have a bit of an impact on us, I think. Um, the thing is that that last loss is the Harrogate game. And that's the first time Hall Johnson and Bryce Susanna are on the pitch together. And, and for me, I've said all along, that's a turning point. Um, <laughs> looking at the results going on, oh, I'm going to be boring. I'm going to read them through very quickly. Yeah, from that point, our results: one, one, draw; one, one, lost; one, 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 lost; one, 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 drew, lost. See the runs of the run are now six wins in a row. We've won a lot of games since that turning point, and yeah, we're now we look now like what he wanted us to be. Seventeen out of twenty-two games, we've won that. That's not bad. It's impressive. Bad it's impressive. And it explains why. Get ready, folks. There's a stats train coming. <laughs> At the moment, Phil Parkinson has got the best win percentage of any Wrexham player in the club's history. Now, I admit, you know, he's only had 37 games. Very wary of judging a manager on that. The best win percentage is Sam Ricketts. I'm very wary of saying that because he's only had 25 games. <laughs> Um, and then the one before and it's, that, which and I, it's Sam Ricketts. Say again, and it's Sam Ricketts as well. well yeah, I mean, we yeah, don't like, 100%. yeah, you know, like to give him credit 100%. And uh, the third best win percentage, and the one I feel is really the mark, if you like, is Andy Burrell 52% out of 144 games. That's that's consistent winning. Um, but 59% is is tasty. And then if when it comes to loss percentages, so the fewest percentage of games lost, well, your best one, again, is Ricketts, but I think he's a bit of an anomaly. The next one, 17% lost in 146 games is Keats over the two spells. And third best is Parkinson. So the figures, to be fair, are stacking up. It's, it's very impressive. It's very impressive. And we're also... Still in the trophy as well, so we, we yeah. could potentially be finishing this season as league winners and FA Trophy cha- FA Trophy champions. So you know he could be he could go down as one of the most iconic managers in Wrexham's history. If that's the case, I've always said whoever gets us out this league will be known as a cult hero forever. Yeah. I've got to say as well, looking at him personally, I mean, okay, we're bringing him on his reputation. I think he could argue he's delivering on that because this season we've, in the league, averaged 1.97 points per game. 
that's the best he's managed in a season in his whole life. So he's he's performing against his own standards as well. Wow. So yeah, it's called positive signs at the moment, then, isn't it, Bill? Yeah, we're all park in sun rather than park out sun, aren't we, at the moment? Nice. <laughs> so nickname Parkinson. The, the, the silent destroyer. <laughs> yeah, he is quite quiet on interviews. That sometimes he's got a very softly spoken voice for a manager, isn't he? To be fair, <laughs> I called a few of his interviews on the camera, and sometimes it's quite it's quite hard to hear what he's saying. Gentle uh, shark. Yeah, the gentle shark. <laughs> Sharkinson. <laughs> oh, Sharkinson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think as well though to be fair for someone like that if he then was to to have a right go at you I think it would have a bit more impact wouldn't it than someone who's always barking at people yeah yeah that's true absolutely I think the people who shout all the time we don't pay much attention do you unless it's someone like you know um Deitch and yes you think he might kill you or eat you <laughs> 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 but, yeah, it's um, really positive at the moment. I think a lot of Wrexham fans get a bit over-the-top dramatic when we lose a game when it comes to managers, to be honest. Uh, we have got a bit of theatrical fan base. So, yeah, I think he's doing a cracking job and hopefully that he can be the man to get us out of this league because we need to. We really do need to get out of this league soon. Mm. Um after this, we're going to be talking about big attendances and our results. I'm Jake Hyde, and this is Dragonheart. Well, Mark is now going to be a Mythbuster, and he's going to see if we're going to see if the big attendances have actually been getting to the players' heads. And if it has actually been affecting performances, he's got his spreadsheet out. He's been working hard on it. What are the results, Mark? Aren't you going to have a bet first on what whether we cool. or not? I think I think big crowds don't affect our performances. I think uh, big crowds do affect our performances, and they're going to be more positive than we than we thought they were. Ooh. Well, the answer is a uh, bit of everything. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly think if you're an optimist, um, the last couple of weeks have certainly helped because we've been getting huge crowds and big wins. What I did, right, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I, I didn't want to just say what average points do we get per game in different crowds against, you know, depends on crowds, because I think that's a bit too too vague a way to work it out. So what I did was I went, oh, God, I'm sad. I went through the, every season in the National League, because I thought that's 13 years, that's enough data. And I looked at the final position of all our opponents. And I worked out the average points we get against each position, if you see what I mean. Which was quite interesting, because it was not what you expect. Yes, we get most points per game against a team that finishes bottom of the league. When we play teams bottom of the league, it's only at home. We get 2.6 
points on average per match. So we win almost all of them. It doesn't actually just fall like that, though, um, because weirdly, we do really well against teams that win the league. So we get 1.69 points per game against teams that win the league, which is much, much better than, say, against teams who come fourth, where we only get three quarters of a point per game. So oh. it, it var- So I was thinking, right, OK, so when we play the big teams, I do do better with big crowds. So I tried to work it out like that, if that makes sense. And yeah. basically, right, we've had, I, I sort of split it into sort of echelons of 500. So attendance, nine and a half thousand plus, then an attendance of 9,000 plus up to 9,500. And then I looked at the average points against, you know, that we'd normally get against a team in that position and then how we've actually performed. Um, and in massive crowds, it does look we we've done worse than expected, better than nine and a half thousand, but we've only had one game with that sort of crowd. So I think we've got to pass that by. Crowds above nine thousand, we get a point more on average than you'd expect us to. So we perform very well with that sort of big crowd. Eight and a half thousand to nine, zero point so point zero four worse. So a fraction worse. And then the next two, we get about, so, you know, crowds between seven and a half thousand and eight, eight and eight and a half, we get half a point extra per uh, per game. So quite frankly, the best results we get pretty much tend to be when we have crowds bigger than seven and a half thousand. So it, I would say, if anything, it's suggesting that we do perform well against in front of big crowds. However, there is a condition. Because the next two sizes of pride down are actually the ones that we do pretty badly in front of you know so so basically crowds between six and seven is that because that was before we spent money so we've, we've been getting more than that every game this season except not county match so this current team definitely doesn't underperform it does well in front of a big crowd and those are the big crowds we were getting before we spent money those big occasions so maybe in in the past We've underperformed in front of big crowds, but now we perform in front of big crowds. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I remember you like we've had one or two bad results against uh, them that should not be named down the road. Uh, and I think when we didn't have money, like that would have been about a, somewhere six, seven thousand crowd, wouldn't it? When we played them, so actually no, and they they, they wouldn't be. Oh right, okay. I just I just looked. We only played them once in a, with a crowd above six and a half, and that was under Keats. Keats's last game was his first spell, beaten two 0 and then the mm. next biggest crowd down six four five nine was also Chester. We beat them three 0 The next biggest oh, Chester right. crowd was when Kieran Morris scored, and we beat them. When we lost to them, they were only well, it was yeah, okay, it's still in there six thousand thirty seven. But yeah, so basically, crowds above. Crowds above seven and a half, we are overperforming for a lot of them of the season. And then there's a bit of a lull down to about 6,000, then we sort of pick up again. Oh. You could also say it's a relationship between how good or bad we are. We're getting big crowds because we're a good team. Therefore, we win in front of big crowds. Yeah. We've got fair, looking at the other end of the scale. We're not so clever again in front of small crowds. Well, that's probably because we've got a, we had a poor team. 
Well, there we go then. That answers it, doesn't it? Um, we perform well with big crowds, so... So keep turning it, up. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a myth about the big crowd thing, really, then, isn't it? I would say so. So I think then maybe maybe do people translate big games to big crowds, and actually it's not necessarily the case in terms of the crowd being as big as as the as the atmosphere or the you know the, the importance of the game. Uh, and obviously we wouldn't still be in this league if we were turning up for all those big games, would we? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, I'm just looking at the average you know, the positions these teams were in. The biggest crowd we've had was against Torquay, who were 13th. Then it's Chesterfield, who were 12th at the time, who finished 12th that season. So yeah, that's true. I'd also say I, I forgot to say I also added in playoffs or the only home games. I didn't put cup games in because obviously that can have a few effects on the crowds, can't it? That tiny crowd yeah. against Gloucester doesn't tell us anything. Um, but I put the playoffs in as well. So, yeah, we, we seem to perform pretty well in front of big crowds. Yeah, that, well, I'm glad that's been, because something we've been talking about for the last few weeks, the big crowd thing at home. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad we've myth-busted that. One, one last point I just forgot to say is that top 12 crowds we've had in the last 13 years, we didn't lose any of those games. Wow. Grimsby wow. 150th anniversary is the biggest crowd we've lost in front of 8,163. But there's 12 games more than that. And then the only other loss that we've had above seven and a half, so that's in 17 games, is the Yeovil match where we had the players sent off in the first half. There we go then. There we go. Myth busted with Mark Griffiths. Yay. <laughs> and on that note, guys, that's the end pretty much. Um, follow Dragonheart on Twitter, Instagram, and all that good stuff. Follow all the amazing stuff that the media team's producing on um, the Rexman Twitter, you know, the AAA and all that. It's all fantastic. Yeah, so keep tuning in. I've been Shay Long. This has been Matt Griffiths and Bill Long. This has been Dragonheart.